Dan Hofstetter sent me a thing yesterday. He said, Pastor Don, you're, gonna, you're never going to believe this, right? Like, um, a little Debbie is now, because deer hunters, have, you know, if you're a deer hunter, you take little Debbie snakes. And, you know, you got snack cakes in the backpack box or two. And... You don't, you don't take the whole box? Oh, sorry. Finally, little Debbie is making snack cakes for deer hunters in the shape of a deer. And I was like, this is awesome, legit, I cannot wait. This is perfect. And Dan said, well, it's April Fool's. And I was like, oh, come on, man. You need to repent, sinner. It's Palm Sunday. And... Let's talk for a minute about a very traditional story during a very traditional kind of season where if you've been a believer for a little while, or maybe you're, this is your first year like it was in 1993 for my wife and I, our first year as believers and our first Easter uh, celebration as Christians. This is always going to be one of the stories that when we take the journey of Easter... I mean, let's, let's, just, let's just be honest for a minute. Today, we actually begin the week that would change the world forever. When you're, when, you're, when you're reading in the scripture, when you're reading your Bible, when you're going through the Easter journey, we actually mark the date as Palm Sunday as the, the beginning Of our journey, but an, 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 an interesting thing about uh, thing is that there are some other religious celebrations that don't start the Easter journey with Palm Sunday. They actually start it with the resurrection of Lazarus. Um, I believe the Catholic Church starts their Easter celebration with the resurrection of Lazarus. Because that just happens a week before everything that's taking place. And so this morning as we start here in Mark chapter 11 verse 1, watch this. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the village opposite you. Everybody say opposite. And immediately as you enter, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever set. Untie it and bring it. Everybody say, bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord is in need of it. And send it back here immediately. And they went away and found the colt at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of, the, some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they said to them what Jesus had said, and they let him go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. They gave their very best at the moment. They didn't have any time to plan. They didn't have any time to Decide, they took their cloaks and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road. Another spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields and 
Those who went before them followed shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. When he had looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So, Father, would you bless the reading of the word to the hearing of our ear and the receiving of our heart in Jesus' name. And everyone said? So much has happened for us or God's really been speaking. Maybe it's just me. I mean, I, I get the journey, obviously, of, of praying, writing, and seeking the Lord for these messages. And... A lot of what, obviously, we've shared over the last few months has been very personal of mine in my wife's life. But it's been strategic for all of us, if you want to think about it, as we head towards Easter. As we begin what we believe is the week to change the world. No doubt there are some things that will happen this week as... Thursday happens and Friday happens and then there's Saturday the waiting and Sunday the revelation of an empty tomb. And all of the journey that goes with that for us can be super familiar because we're used to the story. We're so, we've read the ending so many times that often we can be callous to an event. We can be callous to such a strategic moment. Easter and uh, Christmas are the two greatest celebrations in Christians' lives. They're our holidays. Hello, somebody. They do not belong to the world. Because, see, without Jesus, there is no celebration of Easter or Christmas. You don't get those two holidays without him. You cannot separate him from them. They are ours. They belong to us. Yet often we allow the world to celebrate them more than we do. The honor that should come with the aspect of this. The king has come. That's today's message. The the king has come. This is the triumphal entry. He's finally here. There's a lot of questions that that go into, is this really valid? It's it's much like when God is answering your prayer that you've been praying for years, and, and the answer has come, and you can't even believe the prayer is answered, but you've been praying it. I just just recently had someone tell me, I cannot believe this is actually happening in my mind. I, I, do, I want to believe it in my heart, but in my mind, I'm struggling to believe it. But, and I said, so what, what do you think? Where are you at right now? And, and what she said to me was, regardless of how I feel at this moment, I cannot give up on the last year and a half of my prayers. My mind doesn't comprehend that it's actually happening. My heart wants to believe that it's actually happening. My eyes see it happening. So all I can do is bank on the, the prayers that I have put in. Like the king has come. Come on, someone. There's a legend about an ancient village in Spain. Uh, and the villagers learned that the king was going to come and visit the village. And, and the, the 
in, in their thousand years of the village, the king had never, a king had never come to visit the village. And their excitement grew as they heard that the king is actually coming to our village. And, and, and so they, they got together and said, we got to throw a celebration. we got to do this big thing, right? And they, they all agreed. But the problem was the village was poor. And it didn't have a lot of resources. But the one thing the village was known for was making wine. And so someone had the idea that every family who made wine in the village would bring a cup of their finest wine. And they would pour it all together into one barrel. And they would present that barrel to the king as their finest wine. And that when the king tasted it, it would be the greatest wine he'd ever tasted. The problem was, the day before the king showed up, the line started. Everyone was bringing their finest wine. And someone reasoned that, you know what? It's a big sacrifice for me to bring that cup of wine. And so, with the barrel being so big, no one's going to know. I will just bring a cup of water and pour in there. And no one will know the difference. The only thing was is that everyone in the village had reasoned that same thing. And so when the king came to sample their best wine, all he got was a big glass of water. And the king was greatly dishonored. Palm Sunday is about a day when the king of kings is greatly honored. Palm Sunday is about a day where people came and gave their very best. Can you imagine throwing your best cloak over a smelly little donkey? And someone using that as the saddle. When they got off of it, can you imagine the hair that would have been pressed into your best cloak? From anybody ever rode, rode horses here? You got a saddle blanket you put under, and and you know you know that horse sweats, right? Like, and when you get home, you gotta you know you just don't put the wet horse away. You take everything, you brush them down, you you get everything, you put you put your tack all up, and those things. I I grew up with horses. I I know. Can you imagine what that best cloak must have smelled like? And horses, when they sweat, they produce a. a you know, a foam, a froth, and it would have been soaked. Hello, somebody. Can you imagine those people who put their very best cloaks down on the ground? Uh, not a paved road like we have here today, but a dirt road. Dusty, dirty. Maybe, maybe there was uh, some potholes that are filled with water, and they put it down so that the king of kings could walk across there. You know, when you get that back, hello, somebody. There's probably stains in there that don't come out. They gave their very best with no thought that they would get it back. You see, Palm Sunday starts this idea of honoring a king. And we catch up to this whole thing. And and we now we want to apply this to our own lives about learning to give our best for a king who has come. The the thing is, Mark's readers. The the people that Mark would have been writing to, because Mark is an old man by the time he writes his gospel. And so that Mark's readers would have known the story also. 
Just like you and I. Like they're not reading the gospel and for the first time discovering that Jesus died and resurrected from the dead. They would have known the story. Maybe not so much of the detail that Mark puts into it here, but they would have been familiar with it. They would have, they would have grabbed certain parts of the story that maybe you and I don't. We've talked a lot about Lazarus and, and, and Mary and Martha. They would have instantly known that they're from Bethany. They would have known that just a few days earlier, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Hello, somebody. By the time they read Mark's gospel, Lazarus would have died for a second time. Hello, somebody. Can you see, can you see these people? Someone announcing Lazarus has died again. Can you see them? Stop it. I'm, I'm sick of y'all. He already did that once. Stop. April, hello, somebody. Right? Like. Can you see? I mean, they're all, maybe, maybe Thomas's relatives. I'm sick of y'all. Hello, somebody. Doubting Thomas. They would have known that this miracle was so dramatic and it was so public. And it created such a stir. It created such a joy and such a hostile reaction at the same time. They would have known full well that because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, it was the Jewish leadership that determined to get rid of Jesus because of it. They would have known all of that. And, and, and on this day, right, they would have known full well that the messianic fever that is there because of the waiting of the Messiah, that this long promise that he's coming. And, and, and they would have also known that to do it at this particular time where Passover is happening, one of the most patriotic times in the Jewish calendar. And Jesus' entourage. Can I say this to us? See, that's the tension of Palm Sunday. The tension is there are those who want miracles more than they want the Savior. That's the tension of this day. That's the journey. Where are we in our walk with the Lord? Do we want his presence or his gifts more than we want his presence or his fellowship? The tension of Palm Sunday is what's the end game? Which side of the parade are you on? Where do you walk in this moment? You see, there are those who are giving their very best because they know who Jesus is. They want Jesus. They want his relationship. They want him personal. He's the Messiah. Hosanna, Hosanna. And there are those on the other side who are just like, can we be done with this guy? And then there are the skeptics that are like, what is this? See, Mark's readers would know the enthusiasm of the crowd. They would also know that it would be that same enthusiastic crowd that saying Hosanna that would be a part of shouting crucify him. That same crowd who would have been singing would turn bloodthirsty. Mark's readers would know this. 
they would know that as he entered the city, like he did, they would know that accepting the applause of the people like he did, they would know that him allowing them to greet him virtually as a king they would know that actually what Jesus was doing was putting his hand on the doorknob of a house of sorrows. Because what Jesus was doing on this Palm Sunday was actually orchestrating the events that would lead to his crucifixion in just a few short days. The tension of Palm Sunday. But see, here's the deal. Elizabeth came up to me, and, and she, she came up to me before church, and she's like, I'm supposed to be upstairs today. Uh, we're the eldership couple up there doing, uh, you know, for ministry and everything that's happening this morning and those things. But I really, I feel like the Lord has spoke to me about patterns. Everybody say patterns. She has no idea what I've written on my notes. But see, Easter's pattern is an adverse situation. Come on, come on. Go into the village opposite you. Everybody say opposite you. Now, I, 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 the first time I ever experienced this idea of opposite, now, it, it, in that culture, it's, see, opposite of us, opposite of Centerville would be Three Rivers or Minden or, or Sturgis, right? Like, it's just, it's just the other town. But in Asia, in that area of the world, opposite mean, meant in opposition. So when we were in Nigeria, hello somebody, in 2004, uh, um, March of 2004, we were going out into the villages and preaching and people were coming to the Lord. And Aibo, which means uh, I was with Glenn Middleton and, and uh, Chad Webb was with us and all those things. And, and we, were, we were in Lagos, Nigeria and we were going out into the delta, into the villages. And listen, um, you know, there ain't no place for a person like me to hide. Not, not in Nigeria. Help me out, Mike. You ever see Mike at Christmas where his tie his family gave him? It's got all these white sheep on it and one black sheep in the middle of it. I love it. So I'm the Aibo, which in, in their tongue... Uh, meant ghost man. And some of these little kids had never seen a white man. Little bitty boys come around. They didn't have no pants or underwear on, but that Spider-Man shirt on. <laughs> and they come running. You know, they're just doing kids in the village, and we walk into this village unannounced. We just come in, and these little kids come around the corner, and the first time they've ever seen a white, they freeze. Boom. Like, little Spider-Man shirt, no underwear, just... They, they've never seen a white man. And all of a sudden, this little boy turns around and starts screaming, Aibo, Aibo, which means ghost man. And man, it wasn't long before every kid in that village came out of every crack and corner. And they just want to run up to you and touch you. And they would touch us, boom, and run off. Like, where are you going? Like, boom, and they'd run off. And we preached the gospel there. 
And people got saved in that village. I remember that village. Miss Wilma, you know where I'm going with this, right? She will remember in a minute. In that village, we preached the gospel that day, and people came to know the Lord, got saved. We had taken a pastor with us, and we planted a pastor in that village and started a church right there that day in that village. And some 30 people came to to Jesus there, and uh, we left at the end of the day after celebrating and worshiping and reading the word and and doing those things. It was was incredible. I have a picture of it. It's incredible. We're sitting in a sea of, of these children and all these people who have just accepted the Lord. And I get back, and I've been back from Lagos, Nigeria for maybe two weeks, and Miss Wilma Miller brings me an article. We still have that article. Where the Nigerian military came into that very village and killed all the Christians. Remember that article, Miss Wilma? And where they're standing, I was standing there in that spot. And that was nothing new for the Nigerian military uh, because it's mostly Muslim and it's, you know, it's a crime to be a Christian. The thing about the villages in that area is they were opposite of each other. That's why I tell you this story doesn't mean it was the next village over. It means they were in opposition to one another. They often warred with one another for land, for boundaries, and those type of things. And we were going to go to the next village after uh, we had left that village, but we couldn't because the two villages had been in war with one another. And they were opposite. And so when you read in your scripture here, especially in this context, remember, uh, you can't read the scripture with Western world eyes. There's some reason why we misinterpret the scripture a lot of times is because we try to read the scripture adapting our culture to it. It doesn't work. Good? So we often have to read the scripture and think about the culture around it. This, this opposite village is not just, it's not just three rivers. It's not just Sturgis. It's, it's a warring factor enemy. And Jesus, t- there's an adverse situation going on here. And so Jesus, on this day, decides to put his disciples in an adverse situation because Palm Sunday's, there's tension. And he says to his disciples, go to the opposite village. Where they kill each other. If you're from this village. Can I ask a question? Maybe you don't think about it. I'm just reading my Bible. Why did Jesus just get a donkey from the village they were in? Had to be one. Had to be one close. Why go to the opposite village? Why go to the enemy? Why go into an adverse situation for this moment when it's much easier to do it right in the place where we're comfortable? Where we're accepted. Where we don't have no problems. Where we don't have to face an enemy. Where we don't have to be obedient to God when it's complicated. Why do that? Come on, y'all not helping me. 
Jesus is testing his disciples whether they're going to be willing to take these first bold steps in a wild watch to come on Good Friday. It's a preliminary test. Can I say this to you? When God puts us in adverse situations for the purpose of extending his kingdom, it matters a lot how you handle and respond to it. Because it's just a test for the greater things that are yet to come. It matters. Everybody say it matters. When God puts us in adverse situations, it matters how we respond. And I'm going to be the first to be honest in this room. I don't always pass the test. Because see, there's something in me that if somebody else wants to fight, I won't fight too. Let's roll. I'm trying to do what I was told to do. Come up here with your attitude. Hello, somebody. But see, this situation was contrary to their comfort zone. Can I say this to us? We never, we're never going to experience victory if we don't get out of our comfort zones. You can treat that. If you don't like Elon Musk anymore, then you can Instagram it. Whatever it is you do nowadays, I don't know. We don't experience victory because we won't get out of our comfort zone. We avoid the adverse situation. We walk away from it. We're willing to be disobedient to God to stay comfortable. Let me tell you something. When I moved from Florida, y'all know this story. 2003, this coming June. There, there's some of my friends right over there help me unload the truck the burgers we drove into Sturgis with a U-Haul truck a demon possessed bird that bird had a devil enough money to live for one month now you gotta understand I had been uh, a market manager uh, running my own butcher shop for years had 13 meat cutters on Panama City Beach where all y'all go to spring break. Y'all go down to spring break. I, I, that was my home. I ran a meat department right down there on the beach. My meat department would do anywhere from $150,000 a week to $175,000 a week in sales. When I moved to Michigan, I had not cut meat in probably 10 years because I, I, I ran the department. So I'm a butcher of 20 years, uh, I've got a skill, and now I'm a business manager and all those things. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know how to build a house. I don't work on cars. Bring me a cow. Tell me what you want. I can do that. I found myself at the Harding's grocery store on the east side of Sturgis. Bagging groceries. Nothing wrong with bagging groceries. And I can remember coming home because we lived in Stoughton Estates for nine months. Hello, somebody. Come on. Y'all know where I'm at. We lived there for nine months. And, and, and 
I, I remember coming home and telling my wife, what am I doing here? Why, what, have we, what have I done to us? Those things, right? Like, I'm a businessman, and I'm bagging groceries. And my wife would just look at me and smile. Oh, you're the highest paid grocery bagger in all the state of Michigan. That is not what I want to hear. <laughs> I did my time. Come on, somebody. If I find myself in an adverse situation, it's a place contrary to what I had been used to and what I had imagined my life would be about. It was different than the reason I thought God moved me to Michigan was to help lead ministry and to be a part of ministry and, and to be on staff and, and to be all the things that, that we had always longed for. We gave up 20-year career. We gave up, we gave up everything. We moved away from our family. We sold our house. We did everything. We, we, we came to Michigan with enough money to live for one month because we thought this is what God had spoken to us about how we were now going to be entering into fully focused ministry for the rest of our life. And I'm bagging groceries. You see, God put me in a humbling situation where I'd learned to depend on him alone. And I became more passionate about discipleship in those days than I'd ever been in my life. Glenn Middleton looked at me and and he said this, and I I love him, and, and I'll never forget these words that came out of his mouth. He said, you have only learned to give people a sermon... And sermons don't change lives. God wants to teach you how to change and transform lives. And I I admit, I was mad at him. But God used him to put me in an adverse situation. Come on, church, maybe you're in one. Maybe you've been in an adverse situation, and and maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking, what's this all about? I don't want to be here. This is not what I had planned. This is not, I was much more comfortable. What is Jesus doing? It's going to be a whole lot easier. Just pick a donkey close. With people who are more friendly. Instead of somebody who wants to kill me because I'm stealing their horse. Come on, you been there? You been there? This ain't no fun. They're not having fun getting ready for the parade of the triumphal entry. Come on, somebody. You know what Easter's pattern is? Not only is it an adverse situation, but Easter's pattern is about what God desires. Find a colt. Find a colt. You see, before that little donkey could be used for the Lord, it had to be found and redeemed. Oh. <laughs> I praise God. I praise God that he came looking for me. Come on. There's probably a lot of people in this world that wish Jesus had left me alone and didn't find me. But I praise God that he came looking for me. I used to wake up one day and go looking for Jesus. No, he came looking for me. Do you understand that? You just wake up one morning and think, oh, it's a good idea. I think I'll go find Jesus today. No, he's been the hound of heaven since the beginning of the fall. He's been pursuing you. He's been looking for you. 
Go find it. Go, do you know there's some people in your life that God's been using, God's been looking for? I said there's some people in your life that God's been looking for. And God may be calling you to go find it. You know why this house ought to be full? Remember we should put some chairs in the parking lot next week? Because y'all wouldn't found something. It's the only reason you and I have, what we have today is because the Lord found us and praise God that his blood redeemed us and set us free. Jesus came looking for me when I was in the opposite village. You know, grab this. Jesus came looking for you. Listen, listen, while we were still yet sinners, the Lord died for us. Jesus didn't wait for you to become his friend to come die for you. He didn't wait and say, all right, as soon as they get their stuff in order and all their stuff right, I'll, I'll, I'll accept them. No, no, no. The Bible says while we were still yet sinners, while we were still, while we were still enemies of God, he died for us. He died for us while I was his enemy. And Jesus sent somebody into an adverse situation to find me. He redeemed me, not just from my sin, but for the purpose of using me to usher in his kingdom. Same with you. Y'all not helping me today. See, here's the deal. What you thought made you a victim... He's using to redeem it. He's using it as a vehicle to carry it, to ride in on the kingdom. What you thought made you a victim, Jesus is using it as a vehicle to ride in on his kingdom. Come on, church. It might take some people time to get it. Come on. But I want to say this to you very clearly on this Palm Sunday. Our victories are what Jesus rides in on to extend the kingdom. Come on. You are more than a conqueror in Christ. Why? Because he wants you to just carry around a trophy? Yay, we won. You are more than a conqueror because he plans on using your victory for his glory. Jesus is going to use a cold, an unbroken, ornery critter to, to ride. Come on. Nobody would do that. He didn't look like much. He's just a colt. Come on, church. He didn't look like much. He's just a colt. He's not very useful because he's not broke yet. And he's a donkey, so it's pretty honorary to start with. Don't look like much. Come on, church. Don't look like much. And, and, and because of all of those reasons, what Jesus is trying to redeem, what Jesus is trying to use for his glory and his honor, because of all those reasons, the world is rejecting it and saying it's not much. I need you to hear me this morning. What's your vehicle that God has told you to ride? into victory on have you rejected it because it doesn't look like much have you rejected it because it doesn't look like what the world thinks it should look like the vehicle of victory never looks like what the world thinks it should look like never and Palm Sunday is about embracing God's view of victory see God sees victory from the other side we can only imagine victory from the battle side Will we win? Will we win? Will we win? Come on, church. 
Let me do this. First Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 21. Watch this, watch this. It's, I'm so, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through the wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The Bible says that the preaching of the cross is foolishness to the world. The world rejects it. It can't be that simple. It can't be that simple. But that's Easter's pattern. Easter's pattern. You know what? It, there's another pattern. Freedom from bondage. Oh, I'm going to help somebody right now. Jesus said, when you find it, lose it. We didn't heard those words. Just a few days prior, Mark's readers would have got it. <laughs> Lazarus comes hopping out of the grave all wrapped up. What does Jesus say? Loose him. Set him free. He's tied up in bondage. He's tied up in grave clothes. He's tied up in death. And somebody put a grave and wrapped him in grave clothes. If somebody did that where I wasn't done, and here it is, here it is, one more time, there's something that the world has rejected. There's something the world has said doesn't have much value. There's something the world doesn't think looks like very much. And you know what God does? He sends Jesus, and Jesus looks at his disciples, sends them to an adverse situation, says, find this thing that nobody thinks is very important, and loose it. Come on, somebody. I need you to understand something this morning. I don't look like much. But for some reason, the Lord set me free. Because he knew. He knew. That before he can use anything for his glory, it has to be unbound. Come on, church. You see, before you and I can be any use to the Lord, you know what he's got to do? He's got to loose us from bondage. He's got to break some chains. The chains of sin and brokenness. And Jesus comes to set us free. Romans 6, 14, for sin shall not any longer exert dominion over you since now you are not under the law as slaves but under grace as subject of God's favor and mercy. John 8, 36, if the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Can I say this to his church? Come on. Once you find the vehicle that's going to carry the vision God has put in your heart, set it free from the bondage that is attached to it, to the world, and use it for the master. Come on, church. Our part's to free it from the world's entanglements. Our part is to set the vehicle that God wants to use free from the attachments and the strings of the world. And see, that's the reason why we continue to go in the merry-go-round of stupid because we don't let go. Where God is trying to set us free, we seem to have one victory and down, one victory and down, one victory and down. It's like a roller coaster at Cedar Point. 
We have our highs and our lows. Hello, somebody. And we never find victory. We seem to always up and down, up and down, up and down. We never overcome. Listen, when you are in a place where God is trying to deliver you and you can't fully walk in deliverance, it's because what God is trying to deliver you from is still attached to the world somehow. You got to lose it. You got to lose it. Spiritually, I cannot be attached to the world. Emotionally, I cannot be attached. Come on, somebody. Listen, some of y'all need to turn off talk radio. If you spent as much time reading the scripture as you did listening to the news and talk radio, the Bible gives you a promise. That his word will guard your mind and bring peace to your life. But see, the world isn't interested in solutions. None of them. None of them. I don't care which flavor news you want to turn on. Whatever little logos in front of it. CNN, Fox News, FBI, ABC, NBC. Listen, let me tell you something. They're not interested in solutions. They're only interested in chaos. Because if they can keep the world spinning in chaos, they can keep you in fear. And when you live in fear, they control you. That's why Jesus came and said, I didn't give you the spirit of fear, but of love, peace, and a sound mind. Turn it off. Turn it off. God promised that the seed of Abraham would never beg for bread. And you people worried about what you're going to eat tomorrow. Either God's a God of his word or he ain't. And so my mind cannot be emotionally connected to that stuff. It can't. You watch, as soon as one problem fades, somebody stirs up chaos about something else. Something else. It's the merry-go-round of chaos. And as long as they get chaos stirred, listen, y'all better turn it off. And what you better turn on is this word. But you better turn on it. It's the only thing that's eternal. It's the only thing called good news. Wear it out. Wear it out. Write in it. Buy another one. Write in it too. Turn that mess off. It's the reason emotionally you're living in fear, in bondage. You're worried about all the chaos. Either God is God or he isn't. Did you read the last chapter? Some of y'all didn't. We win. I cannot believe for one moment that God left the church on the earth to be defamed and dishonored. Not his bride. Not his bride. No. Physically, all of us probably need to put little Debbie away a little bit. Trying. Trying. Financially. You know the reason why $200,000 scares somebody for an Easter offering? Because we unloosed our finances. We're still tied to... Do you understand? My wife and I are really looking at our budget this year. We're like, 
You don't need all that. You don't need all that. What is that? Loose that thing. Loose that thing. Loose that thing. See, when we look at what God is doing, physically, spiritually, financially, emotionally with all of us, we can't, financially, we're not good stewards over 10%. We definitely ain't going to be good stewards over 90 Stewardship begins with a dime on a dollar. You want to practice some faith? Start right there. Watch how everything else lines up. Watch how it all lines up. Loose that dime from the world and watch what God will do with it. We just learned in Bible college the other night that Mother Teresa started orphanages with three pennies. Right? It was on your test. I hope you got that right, Papish. Okay. I haven't seen it yet. Holly did all the grading. So, What did Mother Teresa use to start orphanages? That was one of the test questions. Three pennies. And you know what three pennies were? 100% of what she had. You got to lose some stuff, church. You got to lose some stuff. You got to lose some stuff. Some of y'all need to lose yourself some bad uh, relationships, but I got to go on. So I don't have time for all that this morning. You got to get free. I got to get free of people who, you know, if I, if I dare to share my vision in my heart of what God has showed me, and people instantly begin to be critics, I, you know, I, I, Mr. Mr. Miller came up to me, he was like, no, let, let, let me find a way to make it happen. You know what I'm saying? This is how we make it happen. This is how we make it happen. There's so many of you have, have come up to me and said, this is how we make it happen. This is how we make it happen. Can I, where's Justin Gens? Can I share it? Is it all right? So Justin Gens came to me and said, here's how we make it happen. He said, God, I got 70 plus head of the cattle. Right? I need to make $3 a pound on those cattle when they go to market. What if we offer those cattle when they go to market to the church for $4 a pound? I get $3 and the church gets a dollar per pound of every cow we sell. Let's make it happen. How many of y'all buy beef? I think so. Let's make it happen. Is that all right? Did I do okay with that, Justin? That's kind of simple. He's probably got better ideas. Let's make it happen. How do we make it happen? Because we loose ourselves from the things of the world. The things the way the world thinks. We don't, we don't do it. Justin's like, look, man, what if we get this down? Anyway, I got to go. I got to go. It's, I got to go. Help me, Jesus. You know what Easter's pattern is? It's about you and I bringing what God desires. It's about what God desires, but it's about us bringing. What did he tell them? Bring it to me. Bring it to me. Bring it to me. And he gave it. He lined it all up. 
So finally, after going through uh, the adverse situations, after discovering our vehicle that God, after, after, uh, after fleeing the worldly attachments, we need to bring it before God himself so he can use it for his glory. What will God do with the vehicle in your life? I don't, I don't know. Come on. I, I don't know. But what I do know is anything in God's hand can be used for the most powerful means to carry out his vision. That's what I do know. And the disciples, they brought to Jesus the very thing the world wouldn't have bothered with. And no matter who you are, once you're willing to surrender and bring to Christ all that you have, he can put it to good use for his glory. Come on, church, tell me something. Tell me something. See, the most difficult part about mission is to bring all that God desires. It's an act of complete, complete, complete willful obedience and surrender to God. No bits, no pieces. It doesn't work that way. God, it has to be God's way. Can I prove it to you? Can I, just, can I just prove it to you since we're talking about familiar portions of Scripture? Can I just prove it? It has to be God's way. Can I prove it? Y'all not ready. Can I prove it? Bring God an acorn. He'll give you an oak tree. Bring God an Abram, a lost pagan, and he'll give you an Abraham who's a mighty man of faith. Come on, bring God a Jacob who's a cheater and a trickster and he'll give you Israel and call him the prince of God. Ah, Bring him Saul of Tarsus, a mean, cruel murderer and he'll give you back Paul the apostle. Come on, church. Bring him Simon. Bring him Simon who is a vacillating, weak, coward of a man and he'll give you Peter who becomes a rock for Jesus. And I will say this to us this morning. As we start the most incredible week. Give him your broken, sin-scarred life. And he'll give you back a new start, a new life, and a new home in heaven. Glory! That, my friends, is the triumphal entry. That's the triumphal entry. That's what Jesus is riding on. Changed lives, transformed lives. He's riding on that and showing himself that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When Jesus makes arrangements for a donkey, it's a lesson we are to learn. You know what? The salvation of man took the Son of God's humility. And his humiliation. It took his suffering and his death. And for love's sake, he gave himself. What had to be done was being done. And it's the proof that Jesus is the Savior. It's the proof that sin is a great offense to God and must be punished by a holy God. It's the proof. That a great love lies in the heart of this universe. It's God's love. It's the proof that every human being must turn to Jesus and trust him for salvation. It's the proof that anyone who trusts in Jesus shall 
be saved. It's the truth. God had long before determined what his son must do. And that alone is what Christ did. What had to be done is precisely what was done. And I want to say to us, church, on this Palm Sunday, no matter how many you've celebrated as a believer, on this Palm Sunday, Jesus showed us a point that we must not miss. He's the provision that God provided for eternal life. And so the most pressing question facing Christians is how can we live differently? At the most fundamental level, we're different in belief. We acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. I love how the Lord leveraged something from the world for his glory. He leveraged something from the world for his glory. If he's a king, he should ride in on a steed. A white one at that. Because that's the way it should be done. But instead, the Lord decided to leverage something of the world and use it for his glory. And his disciples had to be stewards all the way along in the process. That's the pattern of Easter. I know it's difficult. And I don't want to pretend like your suffering isn't legit or it's any small thing. Can I say this to us all? Godliness requires more than good intentions. It requires more than self-will and self-exertion or, or self-help. It requires that the spirit of a living God who strengthens us and stirs us to please him at every moment it requires everything we have. Will you stand with me? Pattern of Easter. Stirring of the Lord is among us. I, the news was on this morning before I left the house. And, and I just told you guys to turn it off because I was just like, no, I, I just, I walked out of the house going, I, I, I just wanted to, there was, there was a preacher on there, on Fox News. And he was saying that the church is in the worst shape it's ever been. My wife's like, if you hit that with a golf club, you ain't getting a new one. 
what? And you see, because he said that, now everybody believes that. Because all of a sudden, he's some kind of authority. And I just, I just said, that's, Lord, that's not what we're experiencing. And then you asked us, God, what are we going to do with the goodness of God? And then you pour your goodness out on us before we even answered. You cannot take for granted the goodness of God. That's the pattern of Easter, the goodness of God. And so I don't know where you're at. And maybe you're in this house today, you're not saved. Maybe this is your first Easter. I'll never forget mine. My wife and I have a picture in our bedroom. And it's the picture my wife and I took on Easter Sunday morning, our very first Easter. And it's, it's on my dresser there. And Juliana's actually said, she said, oh, that's my favorite picture of you guys. And I was like, that was taken on our very first Easter as Christians. At a sunrise service. At a Baptist church. In Chipley, Florida, because our little church didn't have a sunrise service. But our pastor took us to the church who did have a sunrise service. And then we went to our church for our regular service. He wasn't scared of other churches. He's like, they're having a, let's all go there. What a day. Maybe this is yours. It can be. Maybe you're not saved. And you're like, I'm not saved yet. Well, let's take care of that today. You know what I'm saying? Let's not make that complicated. Remember what I said last week? Upon the repentance of your sin and the confession of Jesus Christ as your Lord. It's not complicated. If that's you this morning, nobody's going to judge. We want you to move out. Somebody's going to come and pray with you. We're going to sing this song, right? And we're just going to celebrate this week the most magnificent week that changed the world in every aspect of what it is. And maybe you're like me, on Saturday after Good Friday, you're just kind of in that mood where like, okay, what will I do now? What will I do now? What, what, you know? So are they, they're in the waiting phase. But then Jesus shows up on Easter Sunday morning. Come on, somebody. Because somebody put a stone where he wasn't finished. Lord, we love you in this place today. Thank you for who you are. You're just good that way, Jesus. This week, Lord, there are a lot of traditions. Help us to not get lost in them, but to stay focused. Even the traditions we participate in. Help us to still stay focused, Lord. On the pattern of Easter. God, if we are this moment in an adverse situation, help us to understand that there's something there you desire. And that through all of that, God, you are are coming to set us free from bondage so that we can fully bring everything you desire. So we want to honor you this morning. We want to honor you this morning. Let's sing this song. The altar's open if you want to come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the darkness, we were waiting without 
Protected from heaven, you came running. There was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and promise to a virgin kingdom word. From a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dust. Come on, church. Hallelujah. Sing it. Yeah. 